Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Karina Emmerich. Karina is one of our fan favorites. She was uh, a guest on our episode 121, Fashion, Sustainability, Social and Climate Justice with Karina Emmerich. And we are having her back on this week because Alex is away. And I wanted to honor Native American Heritage Month by having one of my new favorite Native American friends on the show to host with me. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Will you tell the people just a little bit about yourself? I mean, honestly, they're going to go back and listen to your incredible episode, but whatever you'd like to to tell the beauty baddies so that they are dying to know more about you later. We'd love to know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll start by saying Hisquotsitiab, which just means thank you so much. And uh, I'm Karina Emmerich, Karina Emmerich-Tizza. I am uh, Puyallup. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, and I am a uh, clothing designer, artist, community organizer, all the things, just every single one of them. And uh, I'm, and now I guess I'm a podcast host, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> for a day. <laughs> Look, we like to add to keep adding hyphens, right? Yeah, adding like multi hyphenates. You know what I mean? That's like the new name of the game. I feel like to be a true entrepreneur, you're everything, especially in the digital space and the creative space. I know. I'm like, how many jobs can I put on my shoulders? It's getting out of control, but we can talk about that. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I. Whenever people ask how I am these days, it's hard to just not word vomit all over them. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like. Everything's fine. I gave myself 17 jobs and I love them all. It's yeah. all great. <laughs> like short answer, long answer. Do you want me to say good or do you really want to know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they don't want to know. Nobody yeah. needs that. Nobody else needs to know what's going on up in this head. But yeah. I'm excited for you to fill us in on what's been going on with you because you have an incredible new community space. And I'm sure that that's taking up so much, just so much of your time, so much of your thoughts, <laughs> so much of everything. But um I'm thrilled for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I actually have so much in my head. I took the wrong train to my own house today. So I'm just <laughs> like, I don't know. I've got like 8,000 8, things going on. But yeah, I'm, I um, ran down this morning to grab my computer. Uh, we are opening up a new space in uh, the East Village called the Relative Arts Community Center. Uh, we just were able to sign a lease on November 1st. And we're going to be... Um, a location to celebrate sustainable textile and indigenous art and fashion. Um, and we're also going to be doing some educational programs there. Um, we want to have like intimate concerts, poetry readings, and basically just kind of have like a peer run hub for indigenous artists in the city. Um, that's, uh, you know, also open to people to come by and visit. And it's just really exciting because we don't really have like a shop or anything that's all in indigenous art run by indigenous people that's available to the like out, outer community. So uh, something that we've been working on for a while and I'm so excited 
to be doing this now. Um, and it's just really needed. And, and I just want to bring like all the amazing artwork and amazing fashion that is being made by Indigenous people now, uh, to people's, you know, attention because it deserves that, that New York platform, I guess. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm so excited. I've been talking about one of your coats since I've seen it. <laughs> I've been like <laughs> manifesting it into my life somehow. Do you know what I mean? Just like dropping hints to various people like, you know, Christmas is coming up. You know, I love to support women and, you know, makers. And oh, here's a link if you want to just check this out. <laughs> but yeah, I think that this is incredible. So one of the things, well, the, the greater theme really of what we're going to be speaking about today is building community and how important it is to have visibility, to find your people, especially coming out of, you know, on the other side of this pandemic, we're coming out of our homes and everybody's building, everybody needs community. Everybody's craving community right now. And I think it's important to have platforms for people to come together, either they're online or offline. We've all been online a lot lately. So having offline destinations, especially having physical spaces in New York where the retail landscape is questionable, it's just mm -hmm. so necessary. So thank you. And you go, girl. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited because <laughs> just like the idea of having a brick and mortar always seemed something that was completely unattainable. And then I wonder if brick and mortar is even a surviving platform for retail. So I feel like in this endeavor, we're we're really kind of making it a multi-use space. So it's really kind of like redefining retail. I call it our um, curated clubhouse so it'll be like a place to hang and then also like you'll be like oh I'll buy my friend's record or whatever so I'm I'm super stoked to be able to do it awesome before we dive really deep into that let's uh let's transition into one of my new favorite segments and when I say one of I mean my absolute favorite new segment and that is the bad bitch almanac Last week was our first inductee ever into the Bad Bitch Almanac. And so this week we've got a special guest host. And I realized that one of the cool things about this new segment is that I'm going to be able to learn from all of the people that we bring onto the show. I'm going to be able to learn about one of your heroes that deserves to be you know, applauded and give, given their flowers and brought to our attention. So, yeah. Will you tell us who you'd like to induct today into the Bad Bitch Almanac? Yeah, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Um, I am really, really excited to talk about and share with everybody um, uh, Ramona Bennett, uh, who's a Puyallup tribal elder. Um, Puyallup is my tribe uh, from the Pacific Northwest of Washington State, so-called Washington State. Um, but she was one of the key activists in the 1960s and 70s fish wars. Um, and so the fish wars were a series of like civil protests, civil disobedient protests throughout the 60s and 70s, where people came to the Puget Sound region um, and and basically fought to gain the rights that were uh, granted by the Medicine Creek Treaty. Um, you know, so we talk a lot about how there's all these broken treaties. And one of the treaties was the Medicine Creek Treaty, giving us the rights to our own sustenance and our own land and through uh, our fishing. So salmon is one of the most important things to us and our people. And we believe that we come from the salmon. Um, and it's also the main sustenance for all um, the life around the rivers and all the trees, the cedar, everything that we have that's been given to us, we believe that it came from the salmon. So our rights to be able to continue those traditions were so important. 
And it was at the time when the government was forcing licenses on people and basically stopping us who have been fishing from these lands for over 500 years from fishing in our own places. So then it was making leeway for like commercial fishermen and, and all these other people who were trying to, um, you know, capitalize off of, uh, something that, uh, shouldn't really be, um, monetized, I guess, as like our own sustenance. So, um, yeah. So Ramona Bennett is just like the coolest, dopest lady. She's still around. She's 84 years old now. Wow. Yeah. I got to hang out with her on zoom the other day. So that was wow. cool. She's, yeah, I, she's, she's like just so cool. It's, and it's so awesome to be able to have those connections, uh, you know, 3000 miles away because, you know, it's just so important for us to be connecting with our elders and to be uh, aware of all the stuff that people fought for for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she started, she co-founded the Survival of American Indians Association with Janet McLeod, um, in 1964 and, uh, she also gained insight from a lot of other civil rights and red power movements as she actually took a lot of the fish that she had, um, uh, had caught through the fishings and brought it to the Black Panther movement in order to bring them something and gain knowledge from them. So I think that's really cool. Just talking about community yeah. building, it's a really good, like, story and history that, um, you know, we've, we've relatively all been relatives right we're all yeah. connected and we all try and um uh, you know fight the fight the man together i guess <laughs> totally yeah but yeah so so i think it's um just one of the coolest people that i've been aware of and somebody who i really like to uplift from my own tribe so i love that ramona bennett mm-hmm. welcome to the bad bitch almanac heck yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I love that she's still alive. I love that we are able to celebrate her and she's able to receive her flowers. And Mm -hmm. also she knew the importance of community building, of reaching across the aisle and saying, how can we come together to serve the same purpose? Like you and I might have, we might want different things, but at the end of the day, what we need is the same and Mm -hmm. we can come together to get that. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think it's so interesting you said like the need for community right now. And one thing that really resonates with me is that idea of like, it's not just about self-care, it's about community care. And I think that we just really need to be continuing to create these like allyships and and building together. Um, You know, that's that's our greatest strength. Yes, it really is. Some days I feel like it's our only strength, honestly, especially these days. And uh, that's why I'm here for it. So I'm here to just keep trying to bring all of us together, because if it wasn't important, then people wouldn't be trying so hard to make us feel separated and, and different from each other. When in reality, we're all fighting the same fight. Yeah. It's so and it's like this time, too, it's like feel like we're so pressured to be individualized that we all have to be on our own grind or doing our own hustle. And, and then you, you know, you learn that you really can't do anything on your own. It's all about who you know, what your relationships are with people, uh, if you're well respected or not. Those are yes. all things that will push you forward. And so even though I, I seem to have some successes, it's not purely from me. You know, I, I have a whole community. Mm hmm. And if they're going to call Kylie Jenner self-made, then I, I'd say, <laughs> and I'm not even going to say I'm self-made, like we're community-made. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so true. It's it's 100% true. And yeah, this has been my year for sure of coming back around to um, enlarging my circle, I think, of trust, which is very difficult for me. 
an Aries. Yeah. Don't trust nobody. <laughs> but it's impossible. It's impossible. And it's a, it's a terrible place to be, honestly, to be fearful of other people when there's so many more people who are willing to give if you um, are willing to share and willing to receive, you know? Yeah, totally. So um, we were speaking earlier, Karina, about mentorship and how important it is and how a lot of people... Uh, on the internets, on the interwebs uh, from our generation, millennials and Gen Z kind of feel like there was a lack of mentorship for them. And I think something that draws you and I together in terms of, of our business models is a lot of creating mentorship, creating educational spaces, creating spaces for people to learn, to be curious. And yeah, what do you think about that? Because honestly, I have to say, I feel that I have had a lot of mentorship, but I've also gone looking for mentorship. Right. And I also, right. for the, a large part, had to make my own blueprint. So it's just out there figuring it out and looking for other people who are also just out there in the dark figuring it out, but a few steps ahead of me. Yeah, for real. I say the same thing. I'm like, I'm creating my own roadmap. Because the maps that were provided before, they just, they're, they're so out of date, right? So we have to mm -hmm. like figure out like how we're doing things now. And so even the idea of having, um, you know, my parents, for example, I love them so much. They're so amazing, but they have no idea what I'm doing. And especially in the, in the world that we're living in now, where we're just kind of constantly having to create our own jobs and our own work. And, and I, you know, like we had talked about earlier, I said, you know, who would have, what five year old would have said, uh, of our generation, I want to be a podcaster when I grow up, right? Well, like wasn't a thing. Totally. So it's just really interesting. We like we are creating our own roadmap. So the inspiration that we get from older people uh, um, or our mentors is it's not going to be just a direct roadmap. We are really kind of creating it for ourselves. But I also think, you know, that's something that's been really difficult as far as like the millennial generation is that uh, we had to do this whole gig economy. We had to create our own work because the jobs that are available, like I have a bachelor's degree in fashion, right? Like I, if I got a job based on that, I'd be maybe making maybe like $40,000 a year, which is just not a livable wage in New York. Mm -hmm. And that's like a really common starting point. And so it's so crazy to think about how this entire like economic landscape has changed so drastically over the past mm -hmm. few years. Um, the housing prices, I mean, geez, even like, I think I saw like the median rent in Brooklyn is like $3,200 now and for like a one bedroom median yeah. rent in, in uh, New York is like 4,000. And then, okay. So, okay. So I looked it up because I was really, really curious about like what the costs were in Manhattan in the 90s. And the median rent, like with inflation now would be about $1,700. So wow. now it's 4000 And that's just mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's so totally crazy. And so this idea of like us trying to get by and then we have, you know, the next generation following us, that's like, what is the future? Especially with like the climate crisis and everything like I think about that all the time. Like, what is the future? What is what does the future hold for people? It's not to be a major bummer, but I, I spiral, <laughs> I spiral out about those things. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I I read this quote the other day that was like, you know, history can make you feel really uncomfortable. History can make you feel really sad, but you have to know it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing about thinking about the future. Like if we all thought it was going to be roses and sunshine, then like what would you do to ensure that it was roses and sunshine, right? You would just kind of mm -hmm. keep on walking. But you're right. It is very uh, bleak, <laughs> but also, <laughs> you know, 
I don't know. It's difficult because as a person of color, after a certain time, it's like my my struggles are like my disadvantages like make me work harder. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's kind of like the the rich kid syndrome, right? Like, if you are just born into wealth, like the next generation, they become like you know like alcoholics or drug addicts or like they just spiral down because they've never known what it is to struggle. Like the struggle is kind of what built like builds toughness, right? Builds resilience, and. So part of me feels that because we're a generation that came, you know, I graduated in 2008, mm-hmm. you know, like Lehman Brothers was like collapsing as, <laughs> as I was like starting my first jobs, you know, like everything changed. Instagram didn't even exist. I went to school. Also, right. I got my bachelor's in business administration and like marketing and the way that we market everything now is a complete it didn't even exist at that point, you know. Yeah. And totally. so. We're both building and learning as we go, right? Like we're changing the landscape of everything. You know, we were saying that generations before us were so much more active in terms of really fighting for change, really like being in the streets and being like physical and risking their bodies for this change, like for for whatever it is, whether it's civil rights or um, climate justice or, or whatever, right? And Mm -hmm. our generation and Gen Z are a little bit more, I guess, passive. But I would argue that millennials fuck shit up in a different way. We change the landscape of the world, of industries Mm -hmm. as we know it. Do you know there's industries that I'm just like, so when is somebody going to millennialize that? Like the farming industry. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, somebody's going to come around and fix this shit because it's been too long. Everything else is already fixed. If nothing else, there's money in it. (laughs) And this is capitalism. So somebody's going to have to come and make this shit more efficient. So in that sense, I think we've changed things. But what do you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's so funny, the farming industry. Now we have like the farm to table or now we're going back. I feel like we're we're kind of backpedaling a little bit into these like old school things. Like when we should be studying history, we should be aware that these are not new ideas. Right. So like even um, like the fact that I make clothing that is handmade in New York. Well, the reality is all clothing is handmade, right? It's just that I'm the one making it and not somebody in a factory somewhere that nobody knows where it's being made, right? So then yeah. we're promoting like a fact that's already true. And so I like to think that in a way, the future that I see is a, is almost like I've been studying a lot of the industrial revolution just because I'm really curious, like how we got here. And it's all about, um, you know, making things really accessible. But I now think that we're in a place where there's like a green industrial revolution that's happening and that there's so much work being made to just kind of make sure that, that we do have a future. But yeah, like the idea of people fighting, you know, I think the term comes up with, with social media, it's like slacktivism, that mm-hmm. we think if we repost something, that's enough action um, or enough to say, this is what I think when people aren't necessarily doing boots on the ground anymore. And it is kind of the pressure that you feel from your peers to post something on the internet. Well, at the end of the day, like, what is it really going to do if you're posting it in your uh, echo chamber, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's something, you know, we touched on a little bit, um, the difference between now and, and previous generations uh, that were so pushed towards nonviolent action. And in the past that people were really putting themselves at, at harm, like you were saying. And, and even with Ramona Bennett, who we talked about earlier, it wasn't all nonviolent actions. It, d- it did get to a point where they were uh, 
taking fishermen, Puyallup fishermen out on boats that were armed with rifles um, that were challenging the police. And when anybody would approach their fishing nets, you know, they had, they were armed. And some people, uh, I think it was many dog hides, uh, was quoted as saying, it's a sad thing that we have to bring guns out, but people are dying and we have to fight for survival as we have mm-hmm. done for 500 years. So, you know, and, and a lot of people say, how can you fight nonviolent action against an enemy that has no conscience? And when you see the visuals of how actions, nonviolent actions are being met by the police or the, you know, the, all the, the National Guard or all this stuff, like people are out being shot with water cannons with what, you know, rubber bullets. Like, how is it uh, so pressured for us to be nonviolent when our opponent is extremely violent and that's mm-hmm. legal? It's mm-hmm. sick, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think about that a lot. But but that's the thing about building community is like when you're actively building community, you're actively creating change. And when we're separated and individualized, um, we're not able to. And, and we do have to be multi-generational for sure to be able mm-hmm. to to continue those communities. Yeah. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And when we're talking about community, you know, we, we had, uh, when we were in the Indigenous Kinship Collective, a lot of what we were doing was uh, education-based teach-ins, sit-ins, and it was all direct action-based. And that kind of is what birthed this new project that we're working on now, which is the Relative Arts um, Community Space. So uh, it's majority Indigenous-owned um, by me, um, Karina again, who's Puyallup, and then my friend Leanna, <laughs> who's um, Muskogee Creek, and we worked together for a few years uh, within the, a different collective, and and really got on really well. We're really like minded, and we wanted to continue to build something that was really about like art as activism. So we started this idea of this uh, the relative um, arts community space that is you know hopefully will be open in. Um, December soft opening and then January officially. But I just really like to bridge that gap between art and activism. And um, that's something that we want to do. And, and in, in that activism, education is a huge part of it as well. I love that. So, yeah, I'm really excited to host like Indigenous artists. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People, life is hard. We always talk about this on the show. We're going into the holiday season. Holiday season's really rough. Sometimes it's great. You start to think about all the things that you accomplished during the past year. Sometimes you think about all the ways that life really messed with you in the past year. I was actually just speaking to my sister today about how I miss my therapist so much because, <laughs> you know, the recession is no joke. Inflation is the worst and uh, therapy is really expensive. And she said, I think about my girl Lisa every day. But if we were working with BetterHelp, we wouldn't have this problem because BetterHelp is a super affordable way to go to therapy because life doesn't come with a user manual. And when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. So navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel super insecure and unsure. Sometimes it's a career change. Sometimes it's a new relationship. Sometimes it's becoming a parent. And therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists, and it's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. I 
recently went back to therapy this year and it really is life changing. I've learned lots of coping skills to deal with various things going on in my life. I feel way more empowered and I've been addressing a lot of past trauma, which I think is important for a lot of people. So BetterHelp is a great option because as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. It's also affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash true beauty. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash true beauty. You know, artist's job is to reflect the world that's happening, right? Is that to be a critique on our societies for ourselves, for the next generation. And I really think of it as almost uh, a form of uh, documenting progress, documenting our world, documenting history. And because art is supposed to be this elevated thing and because it's supposed to be, you know, there's these barriers to entry and it's this elitist thing. A lot of people don't understand art, you know, and they'll say, you know, specifically like Jackson Pollock, right? Well, yeah, my kid could do that. But once you really start to understand what the purpose is of the artist is to translate and to share and to educate, things start to make a little bit more sense and things start to, I think, come into focus. And historically, some of the greatest art really comes out at times of cultural dichotomy, right? Of like when there's cultural friction, when we've got something to say and either you can't say it because of powers that be or because it's not safe or because you don't have the words or because it's, you know, you just have to show it in some other creative way. That's how people know what was going on during this time. And so, you know, I think right now, especially in the digital creation age, it's easy to see something and think like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. But I just love that you're bringing this to like it's the physicality, creating this tangible place to educate through art, through culture, through fashion. You know, one of the mm-hmm. things that people said um, about your episode when you were on last was I love the way that she um, combines politics with her art. Mm-hmm. And I love that they said that. But I just thought like art is politics. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, to me, th- there's no separation between the two. But the fact that people don't know that is that is the problem. And that's one of the things that I love about your artistry and I love about you as an artist and, and also about a community builder is using your platform, using your, your gift of storytelling through art to mm-hmm. to share your heritage. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I always I always say like there's all the different facets of my brain, you know, that I, the way that I translate things through my work and, um, you know, how I feel really strongly about certain things and it's all an amalgamation, right? Like my work is all, you know, it's not just about clothes. It's not just about paint. It's not just about, you know, it's about really translating whatever's going on in my head and then like putting that work out through my hands. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of something that's so, so important, I think, especially in fashion, you know, cause I, I, you know, they call, they have that term like headlines to hemlines, how fashion is always politically uh, motivated. You know, there's always like something about the fashion industry that reflects what's happening at the time. Um, 
so I think all, all of art is, you know, whether it's left, right, whatever, it's still mm-hmm. it's got something to say. And, I, and especially now that we're, we live in such a visual culture, right? Like yes. everything is based on visuals and like our Instagrams and all this stuff. And, and that's another thing I think is funny too. It's like when you have a pretty big following on Instagram, it doesn't mean like you're better or cooler or anything. It's you're just good at taking pictures and, and putting filters, right? Cause it's all about visuals and people want to see, you know, like how you're yes. creating. And I, and I work in a visual field. So I think it's so important for me to process the way that the ideas I have, the hardships that I feel about things that are happening and, and showing that through artwork and, and beautiful things like that. No, totally. And I think even more so for it to show people that there's room for both, that there's room for heritage and art, especially if you're a marginalized person in this country because capitalism is king. A lot of what you hear is to get like a good steady job, like become, you know, some sort of professional. And so the, the idea of working in the creative arts is so far from a lot of people's minds or, or possibilities. And we're moving into a time of the exact opposite, I think. We're living in such a visual world that the world needs more artists and the world needs more diverse artists to mirror back all of the different eyes that are on everything now, that are on brands, that are on you know social media. And so now's the time to really, I think, just encourage like the next generation of artists. So I guess here we are, look, mentoring. <laughs> couple of millennials yeah. mentoring like everybody else. But yeah, there's there's so much room for creativity and to create and to use your individuality to create community, right? Because like, yes, we're all special, but also there's so many more of you. I remember hearing this woman on a podcast. Uh, she was an actor and the host was saying, you know, you're so funny. You're so one of a kind. You're so unique. And she and she's a, a young black woman. And she said, you know, I'm really not. All of my Mm -hmm. friends are this funny. I just got lucky. She's like, there's so Mm -hmm. many more of me, but there's Mm -hmm. only room Mm -hmm. for one. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Totally. And it's so true. Yeah. That's one of the big reasons why I wanted to start the relative art space was because I feel like uh, I've gotten a lot of accolades from my work and have been put on certain platforms that that I don't feel like I'm the only one uh, who should be in those spaces in New York. And I just know so many people who are so talented and so, such amazing artists and work in fashion and art and everything that should be uplifted in this city. You know, it's Lenape Hoking, right? It's Lenape land. And um, this has always been trading grounds. This has always been a place for people to come and meet and trade. And I think that it's just kind of, we're continuing that tradition um, through, you know, like community and cross community and meeting people from different places and, and showing work from all different areas. Um, it's so important that people are uplifted. Um, and, and we're not a monolith, you know, like there's not like one person who represents everybody. Like I can't speak for anybody but myself. I can just talk about stuff that I know. We're not really unique. It's just that people aren't hearing the stories that we have to tell. Oh man. Well, thank you for being you. Thank you for, I know I said this last time, but I just, I think that you're incredible and I love um, seeing the work that you're doing and the communities that you're building. And I just, yeah, I just stand you. I think that you're so dope. Oh, thanks. I think you're pretty cool too. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
one thing that I think is really important in my artwork itself is to bring attention to greater issues that are just like a part of the larger community. Um, and especially with the idea that uh, colors often represent movements, right? So uh, we have like the Why We Were Red campaign about missing and murdered indigenous people. And and we also have the Every Child Matters campaign, which is the color orange. So I did a piece that's called Asquakwil, which is uh, means orange in our language. And uh, it's really about the movement, you know, looking for justice for relatives that suffered at the hands of uh, religious authority which is uh, going all the way back to boarding schools. I'm a child of boarding schools. My great-grandmother, Rose Juanita McLeod, uh, was at Cushman Indian Boarding School um, in Washington. She's a survivor, you know, and we've been actively unearthing graves of children from the boarding schools. Um, so it's a huge issue right now. And Deb Holland, who's the Secretary of the Interior, She's Laguna Pueblo. Um, she has been actively working to, you know, uh, find the truth around those cases. And then most recently, the Supreme Court is seeing cases that the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was passed in like 1978, is now being challenged as being unconstitutional. So the Indian Child Welfare Act or ICWA was a decision that indigenous children should be adopted within their own tribe or within their own family. And that, that that took precedence over anybody else in order for the survival of our cultures, right? So that, I think when you're talking about things like a genocide, um, especially right now, it's about separating children from their culture. And so it's something that's happening right now. And we see this backslide in everything that we thought are really progressive, right? So, but it's so crazy how fast these things can change. So I think the situation right now is it's uh, Supreme Court just heard arguments. The case is called Holland versus Brackeen. And it's a couple in Texas that wanted to adopt a Diné, uh, Navajo and Cherokee child. And so they went all the way to the Supreme Court to deem the Indian Child Welfare Act unconstitutional when the child should be within their own culture. And so those things are still happening right now. Like this is something that we're not going to hear the decision until 2023, I don't think. So a bunch of people went up to the Supreme Court to protest um, this, but it's like something that was passed in 1978 and now we're fighting it again. Shit. I mean, like, you know, Roe v. Wade also. Well, think about how many... I'm sorry to cut you off because 1978 was not that long ago. And so think about how many hundreds of years that families were being separated between when did we discover this place? What, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? So from 1492 <laughs> yeah. to 1978, mm -hmm. it was just fine for families to be separated. And then it's only been, you know, 40 years that families could be together. And now again the work to dismantle that. It's been such a short amount right. of time. You know, when you look at the timelines, I, re I remember seeing this infographic of, you know, the time that slavery was legal, let's say, and then the time from its abolishment to today. And it's just a blip. It's just a blip on the map, you know? And when you look at things from the greater scheme of modern society, we'll say, not even modern, of society as we know it, for people who have been oppressed, the time that we've been able to be autonomous and to live the life that we see today is so is so short. Like I'm probably you and I are probably the first generation of truly what free, whatever that means, people, right? Like mm -hmm. brown people who are 
free to walk through the world for the most part and given the same liberties as everybody else for the most part in this country, in this city, let's say. We're 37 years old. I know. That's it. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And then this whole uh, concept of like, get over it, right? It was a long time ago. No, it wasn't. Mm -mm. This is like the year my sister was born. Mm -hmm. Like it's in our lifetime. It's wild. And now now we can see a potential loss of these rights that we fought so hard to get in our lifetime as well. So it's just, it's disturbing and it, and it's all connected too. just all these, you know, like not being able to have your fishing rights on your own land. Like, what is that about not being able to have a say over who's adopting your children within your tribe, not being able to, you know, all these, all these different things that we are dealing with today is um, a reason for you not to celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's just all, it's just really, um, it's something that we should be paying attention to. And, and I, and I really believe that I'm the first generation, uh, to be able to say that I'm proud of being indigenous because we were so hammered into us that, that it was something that we should be ashamed of. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm so proud of where I am in the community that we're building and we need to continue to fight. You know, we have to really continue yes. to fight. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say something about shame because I feel like I'm only recently realizing this and it's because I've been afforded the opportunity to attend very good therapy for the past year. Mm-hmm. And shame is one of these poisons that is so within your identity if you are like an oppressed person and it's so hard to shake and it's so destructive to its host let's say and I really believe that that's another part of like yours and my mission of like mentorship is like the more you see you unashamed showing up in all of your glory that like starts to die a little bit and like that's why to me like visibility is so important Because like the more you see you and the more that you see, oh, this person's accepted and they're beautiful and they're wonderful. And look how people are celebrating them. Like shame can't live within that. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful to be here and to be able to be on these platforms. And, you know, it's really this concept of be the change that you want to see, you know, and that we Mm -hmm. have to if, if, if our role was missing that now we have the opportunity to play that and it's not easy and it's, and it's not always, you don't always feel confident and you don't always feel like a warrior, you know, it's, yes, but it is, um, it's necessary. And there's so many amazing women who are out there doing the fucking work. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, it's important going, cycling back to, I think like how we opened this with sort of hearing that there's this lack of mentorship. I think that you have to go and find your own mentors. I think that that's kind of like my takeaway from this, because really when I sat down and I started to think about all the women who have helped me, do you know, like the first that comes to mind is Jenna Weiss Berman. Do you know what I mean? This woman that I would hear produce some of my favorite podcasts ever and who I just mm-hmm. happened to see her company post. Uh, you know, we support black podcasters. We support black uh, voices. If you want to reach out to us, just let us know. And this is somebody like from that one post that has been so integral in my growing of like my business, of my confidence, of the show. She said, I'm here if you want the opportunity. I sent her an email. She showed up and she keeps showing mm-hmm. up for me. Jenna, shout out. Mm-hmm. Shout out JWB. And uh, <laughs> I think that that's the takeaway. It's like you can't wait for opportunities to come to you. You have to 
go get what you want. And from what I've understood, most people are so willing to give you the information if you ask. They're oh, so yeah, happy to sure. help you. They're so happy to give you the information. Like, do you know, today I had uh, right before this meeting, I had a coffee meeting with one of my dear friends who recommended me to go to the entrepreneurship program that I'm now in and pushed for me to get in. And then when I asked, you know, for real numbers because I needed, you know, I'm working on this plan, she sat down with me for an hour. And then the middle was like, oh, I'm so sorry, like Walmart's calling, like they're one of my big clients. I'm just like, bitch, Sam Walton's calling you right now. And you're giving me 30, 30 <laughs> minutes of your time to talk to little old me, you know? Yeah, but she's totally. like, I'm so happy to do this, you know? And she sees me like scribbling down fervishly. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm writing so fast. She's like, bitch, if you weren't writing, I'd be pissed off. Because like, this is what I'm here to give you is my knowledge. I'm happy to share it with you because you're happy to receive it. So yeah. go find your mentors. We're out here. Yes, definitely. Building all these, you know, community organizations, paying this rent for you. <laughs> well, I don't know about paying the rent, but we're try I'm trying. No, you'll make it. We'll you'll get make there it. one day. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Karina, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me today. You're incredible. Yeah. I tell you all the time. It's getting embarrassing at this point. <laughs> Will you tell the beauty baddies where they can find you and how they can support you? For sure. Yeah. So our new space, um, I guess the best way to find us is on Instagram and it's at Relative Arts NYC or relativeartsnyc.com. And we've got a couple of fundraisers going. So uh, we'd really appreciate if people could contribute to those and so we can build bigger and more beautiful space, um, which will open in the East Village in 2023. And if you want to follow my personal artwork and my fashion line, you can follow at Karina Emmerich. Yes. That's and I've, I've got a personal request for the beauty baddies. This is Elizabeth. Our girl Karina... Y'all know she a baddie, first of all. She's building these spaces for you. You're welcome, second of all. The girl has been featured in the Met as one of the, the greatest fashion designers in America. She needs a new computer. She has this poor, she's got this poor, terrible computer from like 2011. And it's my personal opinion that we as a collective community owe it to her. To, to manifest this computer for this woman. So if anybody out there works for Apple, if you work for anybody, if you work for PR, a PR company, however you think that we can get a beautiful functioning, if we could get her that like, you know, 21 inch MacBook Pro, you know, what is okay. it? The Catalina? We're manifesting it, girl. We're putting it out there into the universe, please. <laughs> okay. Think of it. I won't say no. Think of it as your reparations. <laughs> if you can make this happen, that is your your bit of reparations for 2022. Um, you could write it off on your taxes too. So that's a karmic good and also fiscally responsible. <laughs> so Thank yeah, you. That, yes, if currently that's, taking donations. Please, girls and guys, I know we can do this. You guys can DM or email us your listener letters, your um, suggestions as to whom is going to be sending this check and or computer for Karina. You can send us your beauty baddie moments of the week um, on Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast or True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow my personal Instagram. I'm at the Brown Elizabeth Taylor. Alex is at Alex Lindley. And you can make an in-person or virtual appointment at TrueBeautyBrooklyn.com to hang with me. I'm Elizabeth. You can make an in-person appointment with Alex at CheekyBrooklyn.com. And that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. I'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. The True Beauty Brooklyn podcast is produced by Beta Wave and Elizabeth Taylor. 
and is mixed by BetaWave. Follow us on Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. And if you'd like to further support the show, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.